Welcome to the CLS Experience. I'm your host, Craig Siegel. I'm a born and raised New Yorker who achieved success with multiple businesses, but I crave something deeper. So I dedicated myself to personal growth and transformation by revamping my mindset. I went from being unable to run a mile to conquering four marathons the following year. Now, I want to help others manufacture big breakthroughs of their own. You know, if my brain has been evolving for you know, two million years, is it possible that there is some kind of interplay between the quantum field, which we cannot see, but we know is there, right? And this physical world that we live in with our senses of hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touches, and our intuition, our intuition, you know, is one of our other higher faculties of mind. Um, we're just, you know, 500 years of, of scientific research. That's like nothing in 13.8 billion years, right? Right, sure. So I'm just fascinated Same. with the nature of consciousness and reality and the nature of me. This, you ask me biology, like me, nine systems, a hundred trillion cells, um, you know, a brain, a heart, liver, lungs, kidneys, uh, digestive system, nervous system, endocrine systems, like, oh my God, like, wow. Like I was blown away by humans, us, this journey. On today's episode of the CLS Experience, we have a very special treat. He's one of the most iconic behavioral and mindset experts on planet Earth. He's a mentor, advisor, philanthropist, and legendary thought leader. He's a serial entrepreneur, CEO of Neurogym, and New York Times bestselling author several times over. You'll recognize him from the global phenomenon, The Secret, both the movie and the book one of my personal favorites. He's been interviewed by the greats, such as Larry King, Ellen DeGeneres, and Anderson Cooper, and has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and on CNN. He's just an overall juggernaut in all facets of life and a terrific human being. Please welcome the brilliant and abundant John Aseroth. How you doing, Big John? Oh my, my, Craig, like that, I, I want that written somewhere so that I can give it to everybody else. Thank you so much. I'm doing so well. It's my pleasure. I take great pride in those. But here's the kicker. You wrote it, technically. <laughs> uh, life's uh, journey, right? It's, yes. Uh, it's been an interesting, fun, amazing ride so far. And you're just getting warmed up. This is a special episode for us. As I was telling you before we went off air, the podcast is exploding. We've had the opportunity to collaborate on the paradigm shift with me, you and Big Dave a few Saturdays ago. And yep. I've just been such a fan of yours for so many years. I'm sure most people probably found out about you from The Secret and so forth. And so did I. And you just always stuck out to me. And this is a very exciting time. But most importantly, we're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to keep it different. And we're going to provide a ton of value for the audience. Let's do this. Before we start at the beginning, because the audience loves to get a feel for the journey, we're going to start at, and we're going to get a little weird. You ready to get weird? Do it. Johnny, what is your superpower? Taking complex stuff, making them simple. <laughs> I'm laughing because I love you. Just two seconds, just like that. It's great. Complex things, making them simple. Describe yourself in three words. Passionate, curious, loving. What's something really weird about you that a lot of people might not know? I eat the hottest sauces in the world, like ghost peppers, Trinidad scorpion, and I make my own hot sauce. That'll blow most people's mouths out of the water. <laughs> Do you start sweating? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you are you a sucker? But I don't just like the hot sauce. I like uh, I like creating combinations of flavors. The hot sauce is actually to accentuate the flavors. So I will make my own hot sauces with truffle oil, uh, with organic peaches, with a variety of different elements. And then I add these crazy hot sauces uh, for myself and my kids love it. And uh, friends of mine get a chance to taste those hot sauces based on the level that they like. Oh my goodness. It sounds unbelievable. Do you like the pain? Um, I don't, uh, I don't eat it to the point where it's so painful. I eat it to the point just at that breaking point of pain and pleasure. I absolutely love it. 
What makes you feel most alive today? Making, making a difference in somebody else's world in a positive way. Yeah. And I can guarantee we're going to do that and then some on this episode. What do you like more, biology or neurochemistry? Uh, well, I, think, I think biology, because it's really the study of life. And so I'm fascinated with life. And then obviously the human brain, uh, electrical, neurochemical um, is fascinating to me because I believe it's, you know, it's a hundred billion dollar brain at least. And we're just starting at the user's manual for it. And so, um, you know, the evolution of life and our intelligence in the species just blows my mind. Yeah, same. And I just have to acknowledge you for a second. For the audience that can't see or might see this on YouTube, John is standing right now. I thought I, I was the only nut job that stands during stuff like this. People always ask me, I can't believe you're sitting when you're filming the podcast, but I love it. Your energy is seeping through the screen. Thank you. Well, I like, I have two speeds, high and off. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in between. No way. Yeah, you had mentioned to me, you know, you, you, you like to run, you've done marathons and my personality is all or nothing as well. So energy level all the time up here and or sleep. Same. I love it. Well, there's one more fun one and then we'll dive into the beginning. Johnny, what is your definition of success? At this stage of my life, it's really having the coherence to um, achieve harmony between my spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, and financial health and well-being and contribution to the world with my gifts and talents, including my, you know, my children. Uh, but the work that I do in the world right now, um, if I could somehow use my experiences, the, the failures, the successes, the distinctions um, that I have garnered in 60 years of living you know, on earth and, and sharing it with, you know, another human being in a way that lights up their life, their mind, their heart. Um, that to me is like, whoa, what a phenomenal journey. Yeah. It's so gripping just the way you articulate that and pronounce it. And it's very obvious how passionate you are, even just talking about all the stuff, which you're about to dive into. Love it. We're going to start at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to jump around a little bit. The audience loves to get a, a little bit of a background story. Is it true you grew up in Israel? Well, I, I was born there and I lived there till I was five years young. And my parents, um, I have a brother and a sister. They're both older than I am. And my parents were tired of raising their children in an area where there's a lot of war and there wasn't a lot of safety. And so they moved to Montreal because they spoke French. And uh, so they wanted to start another life. So I lived in Israel till I was five. And then Montreal from five to nineteen, and that's where I went to school. And um, and then I moved from Montreal to Toronto from nineteen to twenty six. Then from twenty six to thirty six, I was in Indianapolis building Remax of Indiana. Then I moved to um, Vancouver for one year to work on a deal that didn't work out. Then I moved to LA uh, for a year, and then ultimately moved to San Diego twenty one years ago. So that's the order of where I've been. Chronological order. I love it. I wanted to, because you were born in Israel, are you Jewish? I am. Very nice. Fellow tribesmen. <laughs> Fellow tribesmen. <laughs> when you were around 13, you got into some trouble um, it, when you were a young adult. I think maybe a lot of people might not know that about you based upon everything that you're doing now. Dive in a little bit about that. Sure. So when I um, moved from Israel to Montreal and I got into, you know, the first grade, um, I fell about two years behind because I didn't speak the French and English language, which is, you know, how they, um, they taught in school there. And I got into a lot of trouble uh, in a classroom of 50 kids falling behind. And by the time I was 13, I was involved in a small little street gang and I was doing uh, breaking and entries. We were uh, selling drugs, doing drugs, stealing, lying, um, everything from chocolate bars to uh, cameras in stores to breaking into, into companies to steal computers. That was my 13 to about 17 years old uh, life. And I got into a lot of trouble fitting in with a group of derelicts, to be honest with you, who are just trying to figure out, you know, what they're going to do with their lives. And we, we all knew we weren't good in school. I had failed grade seven English and math. Um, my uh, teachers 
um, wanted my parents to put me on Ritalin because I was hyperactive and I couldn't sit still and I was bored out of my mind in class. And so the path that I was on seemed like a path towards jail or the morgue. And um, one of my friends died. One of my friends went to prison who was in this small little street gang. And so that reality was a possibility. And I just didn't feel like I was smart enough. I didn't feel like I um, fit into the normal uh, path that most kids took. And I was taught back then that if you didn't go to, if I didn't go to college, then I probably wouldn't be able to get a really good job. So I'd either have to be, you know, a cab driver, which is what my father did, or some kind of a craftsperson, um, you know, whether electrician or some kind of a trade, which I, you know, I had a hard time uh, uh, hammering a nail into a wall. So, you know, being a tradesperson was just not for me. And then working in a shipping department, which is where I ended up, you know, working when I left high school in grade 11, making $1.65 an hour seemed like, Maybe I'll be, you know, shipping, a shipping manager, you know, maybe that was the path. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And so I made, you know, extra money and stuff on the streets. Yeah. And then there was a pivotal moment in your life where I believe your brother introduced you to someone. Is that accurate? Yeah. So it, it was um, right around um, March of 1980 is the exact time frame, just to put it into perspective, sure. way before you were born. Um, <laughs> my brother uh, used to play the professional tennis circuit. And um, when, he moved back to, when he moved back to Canada, he moved to Toronto to be the head coach at a tennis club. And um, he knew I was getting in trouble. He and I have always been close, even though he's nine years older than I am. And he's like, hey, bro, I mean, you're going to die. You're going to go to jail. You, you know, you're just not doing the right things. I said, yeah, I know, but, but. And he said, hey, listen, there's a guy that I teach tennis to who's a very successful entrepreneur. He has seven real estate offices. He's a philanthropist. He's a really nice man. He said, uh, I talked to him about you and he'd be willing to meet you. And who knows? Who knows where it will go? He said, would you come from Montreal to Toronto and like stay the weekend with me? Let's have lunch with him on a Friday. So I said, yeah, sure. So I got on the train, went to Montreal, took a day off of work. I went from Montreal to Toronto. My brother picked me up. We went to lunch with this gentleman. His name was Alan Brown. And at lunch, he asked me a whole bunch of questions, obviously, about why I was doing what I was doing. Why didn't I, you know, stop doing illegal things and doing things that can get me in trouble? And Craig, my, my answer was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. You know. Like, I know it's wrong, right? So I knew it was morally wrong, yeah. but I was still doing it to fit in to make some money to have in my pocket. And my father at the time, you know, was a gambler. Uh, he worked cab during the day. He bet on horses and cards and drank too much, um, you know, at night. And there was never enough money. There was a lot of fighting going on in my, in between my mother and father. And uh, so I was like trying to make, make things happen for myself. And so anyway, at lunch, this man started asking me questions, didn't know the answer to them. So he said, okay, let, let's leave that behind for a moment. And he asked me not only what I was doing at the time, which I told him I'm working in the shipping department. He asked me, what are some of your goals? I said, well, I'd like to move out of my parents' house. I'd like to buy a car. And um, I would like to get a really good job because the job I have now sucks. <laughs> and he goes, well, that's great. That's all nice and dandy. I can see it, you know, 18, whatever you want to, you want to get a, uh, a job and a better job. He said, but what are some of your bigger goals? I looked at him like deer in headlight. I go, what do you mean bigger goals? Um, he said, like, where do you want to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years from now? And in my mind, I just think, I just want to be alive. <laughs> I forget where I want sure. to be. Um, but what happened is he said, listen, will you do me a favor? Play along with me. And I said, yeah, sure, Mr. Brown. And he gives me this document. It's about one, two, three, about three pages on both sides. And this is funny, right? Uh, on the front, it says the 1980 Goal Setting Guide. I go, a goal-setting guide. Okay, I don't even know what a goal-setting guide is. So he <laughs> says, please sit down and um, write down a few of the answers to these questions. And let's start with that. First question, at what age do you want to retire? I'm like, what? 
I'm 19, 18, retire. My father's working his ass off. Retire. I want a job. Forget about retiring. So I said, what should I put down here? He says, put down a time frame that you want to retire. So I said, okay, 26 years from now or so, 45 years old. Second question. Upon retirement, how much net worth do you want to have? I'm looking at this piece of paper. I look at him. I look at the paper. And I was a little embarrassed, but I said to him, Mr. Brown, what's net worth mean? <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Third question I got, what kind of lifestyle would you like to live? Oh, I want to travel the world first class. I want to have a Mercedes Benz. I want to have a four bedroom house. I want to retire my parents. I want an Italian wardrobe, blah, 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 blah. I wrote down Hell that yeah. part I could tell. I want, I want the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Sure. So I wrote down a whole bunch of these things, Craig, and um, he looks at it and he goes, all right, 45, $3 million net worth, this lifestyle. He says, that is a really good vision for what you want in the future. I'm like, oh, good. I got, the, I got it right. <laughs> and he said, listen, I'm going to ask you a question. And the answer to this question will determine with 100% accuracy whether you will achieve all of these things or not. Oh, my what? One question? And he looks at me and he said, are you interested in achieving these things in this lifestyle or are you committed to achieving them? Hmm. Hmm. Am I interested? Am I committed? And so I asked him because I wasn't certain. I said, Mr. Brown, what's the difference? And he goes, son, if you're interested, you'll keep doing what you're doing, getting into more and more and more trouble and making that your reality. And that will be your destiny. If you're interested, you'll do what's easy and convenient. If you're interested, you won't do the necessary things to stop doing that and to change your life. You'll use your stories, your excuses, your reasons. Uh, your father was this, your mother was that, you left high school at this, you failed this and you failed that and that becomes your destiny because that's what you keep repeating. He said, but if you are committed, and this was, this was genius, you will upgrade your identity to match this destiny. And he pointed to the document of what I wrote. You'll upgrade your identity to match this destiny. You'll upgrade your knowledge, your skills, your beliefs, your habits, and your behaviors so that how you think, what you feel, and what you do are congruent and in harmony with this vision and these goals you have for your life. So are you interested, son? Or are you committed? And I'm like, whoa, like I'm, I'm excited. I'm scared. I don't know whether you know, to stand or sit. I'm in a restaurant. I'm like, wow, this, <laughs> this guy's got some, this guy's good, right? And so I just, I go, I'm committed. And he looks at me, he smiles, he puts his hand out. He goes, in that case, I will be your mentor. And I said like, wow, uh, awesome. What, what's a mentor? <laughs> I, it sounded good. Um, I will be your mentor. And um, listen, in that moment, my life changed. One question, one answer, one human making my life a possible masterpiece, helping me. What was that? That's right. I can hear your thoughts. Have no fear. I'm going to tell you exactly where you can get weekly access to the CLS experience live in action, dropping gems, nuggets, trainings, special celebrity and business mogul guest speakers, and maximum energy. We just launched the CLS membership. We have weekly Zooms with like-minded growth-oriented juggernauts, networking and absorbing all the wisdom via weekly Zooms. Head to cultivatelastingsymphony.com and then bang! Enter your new network today. Let's grow together. You dig? So that was the beginning, Craig, of my shift. 
Yeah. It was the beginning of me learning about my mindset because right after that, he said, great. He said, I need you to move from Montreal to Toronto. And before he could even ask me to do that, I knew what he was doing. I said, but I don't have any money. I don't have a job in Toronto. I don't know anybody here. Uh, what am I going to do here? He said, stop. He said, lesson number one. First, you make decisions based on what you want, and then you figure out how to achieve it. I said, okay, but even if I make a decision to move here, where am I going to live? How am I going to get around? Like, what am I going to do? He said, stop. I, I, I don't need you to go there. He says, first, you make a decision. Then you use your genius brain to figure out how to do it. I said, fine, I'll, I'll move to Toronto. He says, and by the way, I need you here for before April 18th, because on April the 20th, I believe, no, it was like April the 20th or April the 5th, something like that. I need you here um, because there's a real estate class that starts at Humber College, and I need you enrolled in that. And the course is $500. I need you to go to school every day from nine to five, pass the test, and then you can come work for me. I go, hold on, let me get this. You want me to move to a city where I don't know anybody except for you and my brother now. You want me to enroll in school. I failed English. I failed math. You want me to go back nine to five. You want me to pass the test where I need to learn legal and math and all this stuff that I imagine I need for real estate. And then you're going to give me a job. I said, I don't do well in school. I, I don't have $500 for the classes. It's stop. Are you interested or are you committed? And this went on for probably about 10 minutes where I was fighting it, coming up with stories, reasons, excuses why I couldn't. And we finally got to the point where, fine, I'm going to move here. Fine, I'll get back to, go back to school. Fine, I'll do my best to pass the test. I'll get the money for the course, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I moved to Toronto two weeks later, got into the real estate class. Five weeks later, I took the test. I actually learned and studied every single day. I took the test and he guided me and I passed the test. Now, Craig, why do I remember these dates so well? Because that was one of the most proud days of my life because I passed the test on my own volition, on oh, my yeah. own accord. I didn't cheat like I did in all the other tests I did in school. And then from um, June of 1980, Till the end of 1981, 18 months, he taught me how to sell, how to handle objections. And I made in that 18-month period of time $180,000 on a 50-50 split, prospecting hundreds of calls a week, hundreds and hundreds of calls a week. And that was the beginning of my life's shift. Yeah. So we're going back literally 40 years ago. This is awesome. This is such gold. And just the fact that he was asking you these questions in regards to the goals, even like when you were just telling the story, like I could see that opened up your map of the world. Like all of a sudden you were stimulated. You had never been really asked to think about stuff like that. No, the only time I thought about stuff like that was watching it on TV saying, oh, that would be so great. Yeah. You know, it was like more of a pipe dream than, than, than writing it down on a piece of paper and having imagination, um, you know, around. I never thought in a million years I'd be able to, to, to achieve anything like that. Yeah. And because I never thought that I would be able to ever achieve anything like that in a million years, I never thought about achieving that. Yeah. It's a shame, Johnny, that they don't teach that type of stuff as a curriculum in school. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and as you know, I've, be, I've been a behavioral neuroscience researcher and a performance um, uh, researcher on why we do the things we do. Why don't we do the things we do? You know, what is going on in our brain that holds us back or causes us to be motivated? And, you know, the, the, the research has allowed me to, to do decently in life in different areas of life, but then to be able to share what I've, what I do with people through my books and programs and, and trainings, et cetera. Uh, I felt, and I feel obligated like Mr. Brown gave me, he paid it forward and paid it backwards and paid it at the time. And um, so I get to do that now for other people who are wanting to uh, have more, be more, 
give more, etc. Yeah. And I want to dive in more on like from that time up until like, I know you were having a ton of success, like helping companies exceed billions of dollars in sales and obviously to the secret, but just off topic, pivoting for a second in regards to a belief, why does somebody have a certain belief about something? So why does a child believe in Santa Claus? Why does a child believe in the tooth fairy? Why does a child believe that, um, you know, there's a real Jaws? <laughs> I always thought that. Well, there are, of course, there's, there's, you know, big sharks, right? And, and the answer is, uh, or the, the first question is this, right? When you and I and every other human being was born, Born. Let's go right to the day of birth. We know that, you know, babies have a brain. And we know that every brain, every brain functionally works the same. Like cars, functionally, they work the same. Tires, motor, you know, they all work the same. So the first question is, has there ever been since the beginning of time, 107 or 8 billion humans have walked on earth since the beginning of time. Has there ever been one human that was born with a belief? I would say no. 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 So first, let's ask of like, what is a belief? So at the neuroanatomical level, right, the neuroanatomy of a belief is nothing more than a group of cells that have created connections that have been reinforced. So how do cells create connections that get reinforced? Well, let's say you don't know a song and you hear a song that you like one time, three times, five times, 10 times. The repetition of that song, the music, the words, the feelings you have, the environment you're in creates a memory, right? The memory didn't exist before. But through listening to the song, maybe singing the song along, maybe doing it with your friends and feeling it and hearing it on the radio in your car and dancing a little bit, you create these neural patterns. And so we can say that a neural pattern is a belief that has been reinforced or belief, excuse me, is a neural pattern that's been reinforced. So is it possible that in the world of beliefs, we have constructive, empowering beliefs that we either learned, uh, experienced, um, saw, of course. And is it possible that maybe as we were growing up, when our belief system was being created, we developed some disempowering, destructive um, beliefs, whether it's about ourselves or about what's possible? Is it possible that our environment had something to do with it, our parents, our teachers, our school, our TV, the books we read, the meanings we gave things, the feelings we had, the experiences we had. Is it possible that that coalesced experience of our life created beliefs? Yep. Right. So let me come back to um, a lot of people, children especially, believed at one point in life that Santa Claus is real. And then they discovered, hey, you know, Santa Claus isn't real. And sorry for those of you listening. That <laughs> right. So Santa Claus is part of, um, you know, a religion, a culture, a time of season, um, a happy, jovial uh, time with presents and family and, and all that stuff. And so there's a lot of really great memories around Christmas and Santa and family and the sense and all that stuff. But fundamentally, Santa Claus is not real. And so even though we believe with all of our heart and soul that Santa Claus was real and the tooth fairy was real, those are concepts made up by people who are looking to love us and care about us. I get it. No problem. And for the most part, it's not a, a, you know, a belief that's going to harm us. But what about if you believe that you'll never amount to much? You're not good enough to achieve that. Who do you think you are? You didn't go to college. You failed this. Okay. Last time you tried that, you fell flat on your face. Like, don't even try. And John, you had some of these beliefs in the beginning of the story before. 
Of course I had these beliefs. I thought because I didn't do well in school, because I was in the principal's office, you know, or the detention center or in the police station, you know, as a kid, I wasn't smart enough. I was a derelict. I get in trouble. That formulated my identity. Now, my behavior and my results would probably corroborate that stuff. But that doesn't mean that that was the truth about me. That doesn't mean that there was also a young man who was lost, who maybe didn't have the guidance, who, who you know, the, my, my family certainly didn't know how to deal with me, right? I never had somebody who understood why I was doing the things I was doing, right? So my behavior was my behavior, but behavior is an effect. And there was nobody, not at school, not at the detention centers, or in my home that understood how to deal with the cause of my behavior until Mr. Brown came along. So when we talk about beliefs, we have um, um, two types of beliefs. We have declarative beliefs. They are beliefs that we can declare. I declare, right? I believe that I can achieve an enormous amount of success. But what if there's a non-declarative implicit belief? So explicit, all right, is on the surface that I can say, but implicit is beneath the surface at the subconscious level of what I really believe. So what if we have a belief that I can achieve all that success, but in the recesses of our subconscious mind, I have a belief that I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too male, too female, too Caucasian, too Asian. It doesn't matter. If there's a disempowering neural pattern in the subconscious mind that opposes the conscious pattern, neural patterns at the subconscious level win 999,999 times out of a million. So, when we get into the world of beliefs, we're looking at reinforced neural patterns. That's really all it is, which is the exact same thing that a habit is, but a little bit more complicated than just a belief system. Yeah. The only negative that I have going on in my life right now is that we don't have 10 hours to chat. Because <laughs> this, this is absolute gold. And I want to talk about all the performance stuff and, and the thoughts and frequencies, stuff like that. But I'd be doing the service to the audience if I didn't at least ask you how this secret came about. Sure. So um, I wrote a book back in um, 2000 and something that became a New York Times bestseller. The book is called Having It All. Classic. Achieve Your Life's Goals and Dreams. And um, I got a call from a woman from Australia um, sometime in 2006-ish, 7-ish, who said, hey, um, I'm an Australian filmmaker uh, I read your book, Having It All. I loved it. I loved the way how you described your strategy for achieving every health, wealth, relations, career, business goal. I loved how you used law of attraction and took into consideration some quantum physics stuff. Uh, I love how you uh, manifested some stuff like your dream home. Um, I'm coming to the United States. Can I interview you? I said, yeah, sure. And so when she called me back, she said, hey, I'm coming on these dates and these dates. I said, well, I'm going to be in Aspen, Colorado at a meeting with a bunch of uh, friends of mine who are in the personal development arena. And she goes, oh, uh, wow, I, I want to interview a bunch of those people, too. So long story short, she flew out. She came to Aspen. We were in a hotel room with a green screen behind us, a chair. And she just asked me questions with a camera person uh, with one camera asking me questions. We thought, okay, great. It was an interview, almost like, you know, our interview that we're doing right now, but it was in a hotel room. And all of a sudden, you know, a year, a year and a half later, she's like, okay, the movie's ready. And she sent it to me and to the people who are in the movie. And we're like, holy shit. <laughs> what? How the fuck did you do that from the, you know, from the, the from us sitting in chairs? And she was a wizard at producing like a Hollywood level movie. And so then all of us that were in the movie, probably about, you know, 80, 90% of us were friends, right? So we helped each other out. And uh, we said, oh my God, let's get behind this. This movie's amazing. And so um, we came up with a 
you know, marketing plan to get the book, I'm sorry, the movie first out to our audiences. And then I was chosen as one of the spokespeople to be on, you know, the major TV shows, you know, Ellen DeGeneres, Larry King, Anderson Cooper, all the radio, TV, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, a few of my friends made it on Oprah. So I did like Ellen, they did Oprah. Uh, Divide and conquer. <laughs> And yeah, well, that's exactly what we did. And the movie just started to get a life of its own. And to date, over 500 million people have seen it. For the audience process, that 500 million. 500 million. And I had my story of my vision board, you know, in that movie where I'd cut out a picture from a magazine when I used to live in Indiana as the CEO of Remax of Indiana. I was building Remax of Indiana. And um, I used to look at this vision board that had a dream home on it. And, um, and then uh, I moved from Indiana to uh, Vancouver, Vancouver to, uh, to LA, LA to San Diego. And when I was in San Diego, I bought a house, renovated, and moved back into it. And I had all of my furniture brought from storage yeah. uh, that were in storage for five years. And one morning I'm in my home office and my son, Keenan, who was like five, six at the time, um, came into my home office and sat on these boxes and was smashing the boxes with his feet. I said, sweetheart, stop, stop hitting the boxes. I'm trying to work. It was 6.30 in the morning. I said, what the hell are you doing up so early anyway? And he said, daddy, what's in the boxes? And um, I said, they're my vision boards. And he said, well, what's a vision board? And I tried to explain to him and he didn't understand. So I just said, hey, sweetheart, let me just show you. So I cut out the box, ripped the top open, lift up, lifted up this vision board and uh, Right smack in the middle of this board. Yeah. There's the house that I was standing in, not a house like it. The house. I bought a house in in, in San Diego uh, on five and a half acres with 320 orange trees, um, 10,000 square foot house with 188 windows, a tennis court, a pool, uh, a gym building, an office. I mean, it was just a spectacular home that. uh, I was able to buy, and it was on my dream home. I had cut out a picture of a magazine, didn't even know that I bought uh, the home, not yeah. a home like it, the home. And I was like, oh, my God, how in the world did that happen? And essentially, the first person I called was Bob Proctor. I said, Bob, you're not going to believe. He was in the movie The Secret with me. Yes. Afterwards, I said, Bob, you're not going to believe this. I said, I told him the story. He goes, yep, there you go. There's the law of attraction for you. Yeah. First of all, obviously you've told this story probably thousands times, but look how jazzed you get going back through it. Like it's awesome. It, it's so obvious. It's listen. I mean, what are the chances, right? I'm living in Indiana. I cut out a picture from a magazine, a Dream Homes magazine. I look at it every day and emotionalize it, and I say to myself, "One day when I can afford any house I want, I'll buy a house that looks like that." I never said I'm going to buy that house. Yeah. I said, I'm going to buy a house that looks like that. I just love the, the look and the feel of it. Yep. And I end up in that house five years later. I didn't know where it was, how much it was. I just liked the look of it. Yep. So it caused me to really go like, wow, what in the world happened? Like, how is that possible? You know, like the mathematical equation, we try to figure out like how many homes are there in the U.S. or, you know, in the world that, and the mathematical chances of that happening is so infinitesimally, infinitesimally small that something other than, okay, common was happening. Oh, yeah. And so I've been studying ever since that day, every single day, trying to understand this world of, of energy or quanta that we live in, this quantum world that we are in. And is there any relationship between my thoughts, my brain, my thoughts, my emotions, my intuition, like what, what is, if any, the correlation between what I focus on? Um, how much knowledge and information do we know about this thing we call the quantum field? I know we, you know, we use uh, telescopes to look deep into space and we use microscopes to look deep into the um, um, nucleus of an atom at the electron level. And in and, and either way that we go, what we discover is there's no thing there. There's nothing there. 
And so how is it that we manifest from nothing? Right? So now we're getting to deeper levels of thought. Of, oh, my God. You know, if my brain has been evolving for, you know, 2 million years, is it possible that there is some kind of interplay between the quantum field, which we cannot see, but we know is there, right? And this physical world that we live in with our senses of hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touches, and our intuitional, our intuition, you know, is one of our other higher faculties of mind. Um, we're just, you know, 500 years of, of scientific research. That's like nothing in 13.8 billion years, right? Right, sure. So I'm just fascinated Same. with the nature of consciousness and reality and the nature of me. This, you asked me biology, like me, nine systems, 100 trillion cells, um, you know, a brain, a heart, liver, lungs, kidneys, uh, digestive system, nervous system, endocrine systems, like, oh, my God, like, wow, like, I'm just blown away by humans, us, this journey. Yeah, this is so, so deep. Yeah, so, so I like going deeper than the surface to understand first myself better, because if I understand me better, then maybe I will understand you better. And if I understand you better, chances are I'm going to be much more loving, caring, and kind um, because I want to be loving, caring, and kind towards me. I'm very selective and strict when using any types of products, period. However, the CLS experience is all about elevating your state and getting the mind right as it is our biggest asset in life. Something I've incorporated into my life is CBD, specifically sweat CBD. Just like this podcast, Sweat CBD is all about enhancing your state, designed to optimize your physical and mental well-being. I personally love their products, specifically the oil and the gummies. I've tried a few different CBD brands and products, and to me, this is the most natural feeling. I love their products and what the brand stands for. The founder of Sweat CBD is a dear friend of mine, and she's offering the entire audience, all the listeners, CLS family and universe, a special promo code. Enter CLSCBD at sweatcbd.com. Enjoy. I love you all. Yeah, this is absolute gold. And I'm just so moved. And, and it's funny because we're so aligned right now because I was about to segue into like quantum and, and all that type of stuff. And, and, and one of the things that you guys talk about a lot in the secret, which I think is basically what you just touched upon, but the fact that thoughts have a frequency. I think a lot of people hear that, but they don't really understand what it means. And if they did, they would be more intentional with applying it. Can you explain that? Sure. So like if we were to go to science and we asked ourselves like, you know, what is a thought? Right. And the latest research just like, uh, like two weeks ago um, showed scientifically through some of the research that we have about 6,200 thoughts a day. It used to, I used to think it was 35, 50,000, 75,000. So the latest information is we have about 6,200 thoughts a day. Now let's separate thinking from thoughts. So when a baby is born, as a baby got thoughts, he doesn't have any thoughts. She's, she's observing. There aren't <laughs> thoughts percolating up. But what if we looked at it just a little bit differently? And what if we said that, um, you know, imagine that we have this memory bank, right? We know we have short-term memory, long-term memory. And short-term memory lasts very, very short. And long-term memory um, is stored away somewhere. Okay, and it's not like there's a spot in your brain, like behind your left eye, that that's where your memories are stored, right? So let's say that we have memories and over the course of, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, we have trillions of memories. And let's just say that because of the way our brain works is that there's triggers or cues for things, maybe a room we're in, maybe we open up our eyes, we look at something, we smell something, we have, you know, we have a, a random thought, it percolates and opens up other random thoughts. What if we just thought of our thoughts as little effervescent bubbles 
that are percolating up all day long from our subconscious mind based on some cues from our external or internal world. And what if we said some of those bubbles are red and some of those bubbles are blue? And let's say some of those bubbles that are red, which are maybe 90% of them, are all of the negative things that maybe have happened in your life that you've read about or experienced, and those just percolate up. And 10%, okay, or 600 are positive thoughts throughout the day. What if we just said that thoughts are random, thinking is not? Thoughts are random, thinking is not. So I could have 90%, 80%, 70%, 60%, 50%, 40% negative or destructive or disempowering thoughts, but all they are are bubbles. But if I then take my attention and focus on these bubbles, I create more bubbles just like that. So if I focus on the negative, I reinforce those negative bubbles and more percolate up. But if I am aware that these are just bubbles and I just let go of these negative ones and I focus on the positive ones, I create more of those. So thoughts are not the scary part because thoughts are just random that's coming up from your subconscious memory bank. Now, thinking is a whole other level, okay, of cortical function. So if I have a thought, constructive, destructive, empowering, disempowering, and I go, hmm, I wonder where this thought came from. I wonder if it's true or not true, and how would I know? And I wonder if I chose to let it go, could I? Well, how specifically? Who would I call? What would I do? What would I read? What would I practice? That's thinking. And we can learn how to think positive or think negative, right? That's a behavior and a skill. So the challenge is not thoughts. The challenge is skill and awareness that people are lacking. And no differently, you know, if somebody doesn't know how to play a sport, it's not that they're not a good athlete. They just don't know how to play that sport. So first you learn the rules of the game. Then you start practicing and then you get better. Well, how many people practice getting mentally better? How many people practice managing emotions better? How many people practice a variety of different thinking skills? How many people practice managing habits? How many people practice strengthening their focus, awareness, self-image, self-worth, self-esteem? Nothing more than parts of your brain, okay, that are no different than muscles in your body. If you don't strengthen the muscles, you don't have a lot of strength. If you don't strengthen your neuro muscles, you don't have a lot of mental or emotional strength, right? So when we're looking at this biocomputer called our brain and this organism, you own it. I mean, it's yours. It's a hundred billion dollar organism and you're playing with it like you're a kindergartner. I'm not talking about you, but people, right? And so, you know, we get into, and, and all you have to do is ask a question about beliefs, right? So either I believe that I am a miracle and that everything's a miracle, like Einstein said, uh, or I don't. I happen to believe that I'm a genius. I believe you're a genius. I believe every human being alive is a genius and has incredible capabilities. But having incredible capabilities doesn't mean shit unless you apply it and unless you practice, unless you get better deliberately. I know what you're thinking. Can one cultivate a bulletproof mindset or do they have to be born with it? The answer is as follows. We create our own reality. Want to develop and acquire the mindset techniques to completely revamp your mind, alter your perspective, see opportunities where you want to limitations, tap into all your potential, and cultivate confidence on command? CLS Universe. I bring to you for the first time ever, once in a lifetime, the entire Moonshot Masterpiece Experience online course, jam-packed with all the tools and strategies I use to launch CLS into another stratosphere, filled with modules, worksheets, how to tangibly transform into the 2.0 version of yourself and display your gifts to the world. Very simple, go to CultivateLastingSymphony.com, tap programs, and then bang, begin your moonshot today. 
Let's stop acting like we're going to live twice. Thank me later. You dig? Yeah, this is awesome. And also you mentioned the word awareness. I know you're huge on that because this stuff exists. But like and another movie that I know that we're a little aligned with is The Matrix, right? becoming unplugged and yeah. being aware that we have a choice on how we perceive what's possible for us. So this stuff is unbelievable. It's game changer. Well, it's 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 the difference between playing life on the surface. Yep. And going deep. Yeah. Right. And I don't mind. I, I don't mind going deep. I don't mind looking deeper at myself. I don't mind admitting yeah. weaknesses in certain areas. I don't mind admitting mistakes. I don't mind being ignorant, which I am. Like I am so ignorant, which just means I don't know. Yeah. Right? We don't know. We don't know. That's right. We don't know. We don't know. And, um, and so the key is to, is to say, you know what, I'm willing to become more aware and I'm willing to be radically honest with myself and others. Yeah. Right. Ray Dalio from your neck of the woods, right. The great hedge fund guys. Yeah. Right? He's like radical honesty. Radically honesty with self first. So who am I? What am I? What, what, makes, what makes me me? Right? What, what are the conscious functions that I have? What are the subconscious you know, parts of me? Can I, can I change the stuff that may not be serving me? Can I let go of disempowering beliefs or uh, a less than desired self-image or self-worth? Can I upgrade my mental focus, awareness, and control, and emotional control? I, I, I can? Great. Now, what level of the game do you want to play at? Did you want to play kindergarten level, grade school, high school, university, pro level, also hall of fame? Like, which one? Because every level requires, okay, a certain discipline or lack of. You want to play at the pro level, baby? Uh, the competition is fierce. 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 You want to play at the pro level, you know, of Rubik's Cubes? Competition, <laughs> my competition is fierce. Fierce. Like the Olympics. Yeah. The Olympics, yeah. You, you, like, like who came in second in the Olympics? Who won the silver? Nobody. No, silver. What, what's that? Right. Just like, uh, you know, somebody to appease some people. Right? You want to. <laughs> You know, you, you want to play, you want to play on the gold medal team. It, it's fierce. It's, it's like the practice is insane. insane. Right? The bounce back ability is insane. The training's insane. Right. And yeah. you, listen, you know, you know, this from wall street. It's, it's insane. Yep. Yeah. I want pro level results. But I don't want to do the work. <laughs> Go home. Right. I want to be in great shape, but I don't want to eat well and I don't want to exercise. Great. Go home. I go home. That's it. I, I love it. Look, you're wearing a pretty cool t-shirt right now with a pretty cool <laughs> on it. It says NeuroGym. That's your company. What is yes. that? What's the deal with that? How could the audience check it out? Um, so listen, uh, there's two ways to check it out. Many years ago when I was doing a lot of my brain training and then I wrote my newest book called Inner Size, The New Science to Unlock Your Brain's Hidden Power. I have been inner-sizing my brain for 40 years. Inner-size is a series of mental and emotional techniques to strengthen your awareness, your focus, uh, your habits, et cetera, that are constructive, empowering, and positive. So when I started this company eight years ago, I asked myself, like, what is the little hinge that swings the big door? And I learned starting 40 years ago that mindset is what separates the best from the rest, not skill set. Mindset is what separates the best from the rest, right? But if you combine mindset plus skill set plus action set, it's like predictability, like incredible. So if you get the right mindset, you upgrade your skill set, you take the right action, you bam, you're achieving success in health, wealth, relations, career, business. So when I started this new company called NeuroGym, 
I said to myself, if I can help people with the little hinge that swings the big door, really the belief system structure to help them achieve anything, the habitual structure, the self-image, self-worth, self-esteem, part of their personality, they would develop the skills and they developed the action stuff because we'd remove the obstacles from them. So I started NeuroGym and then uh, I started something called the Brainathon, uh, as you know, as well, where I invited some of my top neuroscience and neuropsychology success experts to do this live one day event for free as our contribution to people. Yep. And every year we do a live Brainathon and between 100 to 150,000 people sign up for it. Uh, we could charge $1,000 for it. We do it for free. It starts at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 o'clock New York for about six hours. And we have some of the world's leading experts on how do you master your mindset? How do you let go of the obstacles? How do you stop the disempowering, destructive habits that are holding you hostage? And how do you start achieving two, three, four times, let's say, your income, your wealth, your health, your relationship success? And um, so NeuroGym is all about you know, the mental inner sizes to strengthen your mind. And with a strengthened mind, what is it that you cannot do, right? Who would you be without the fears right now? What would you achieve if you could just eliminate some of the fears that are holding you back? What would you achieve if you let go of the limiting beliefs that are holding you back? What would you achieve if you changed your, your, your identity to be able to do three or four or five X what you're doing right now? Well, the world would be your oyster. So NeuroGym is all about helping people do that. And the Brainathon is all about giving people access to the people that I play with and the people that are making huge strides in how to master your mindset and how to you know, be in conscious control and then subconscious patterns that will drive your behaviors. People putting a real dent in the universe. Aside from that and all the other stuff that you're going, if people wanted more access to you personally, what's the best way for them to work with you, Johnny? Uh, sure. The best thing to do is uh, take a look at uh, in my social media channels. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Facebook. They can go to uh, myneurogym.com. Awesome content, by the way, for the audience. Go check out Johnny's page right now. Yeah. So, um, so I'm on social media. They can pick up my books if they want to take that. Uh, I have programs that people get involved in, whether it's winning the game of business, winning the game of money, winning the game of fear, winning the game of procrastination, winning the game of weight loss. Um, I've got you know uh, a whole bunch of programs I've developed. Um, that help you with the mindset, the skill set, and the action set. And more importantly than even all of that is all of my programs come with the environment, the uh, coaching in our community where we have live and on-demand training uh, every week. You know, we're, we're, we're upgrading our members' mindsets and skill sets. So lots of just great stuff to put people in the environment that makes it almost impossible for them to fail. Yeah, this is unbelievable. And, and let me know if you know a good surgeon because you'd have to surgically remove the smile from my face for the last. <laughs> we'll end up with these last two final points. One sure. thing that you talk about, which I think it sounds so sexy and it, it just hits home to me. I want the audience to, to digest this one is the razor's edge. You can, but will you? How significant is that to everybody? It's the difference that makes the difference. It's really like as powerful as are you interested? Are you committed? Yep. Right, so the razor's edge. Let me um, let me give people um, a, a little scenario, just to have a little bit of fun. If I have if I have ninety seconds, Please. I want you to imagine that um, there's somebody that you love. Can you, if you're listening right now, I want you to think of one person you really, 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 really love. And if there isn't a person, I want you to think of a pet that you really, really love. Now, part one. Part two, I want you to consider this. If you set a goal right now to double or triple your income in the next 12 months, can you see that in your mind, what that number is? Double or triple your income in the next 12 months. So now you have the person or animal that you love amazingly you know, in your life. You have this goal of doubling or tripling your income now. You're going to set that goal for 12 months from now. And imagine this scenario is true. If you don't let go of your limiting beliefs, 
Upgrade your mindset and your self-image. Let go of the fears that are holding you back, the obstacles, the strategies, the tactics, the traumas, the stories. If you don't let it go, okay, and you don't achieve that goal of doubling or tripling your income, you will never see that person that you love ever again on 12-month-from-now date. They are gone from the face of the earth. You don't know if they're alive or dead. You will never see them again. And imagine if that's a true scenario. Like, what would you do today to get busy? What would you learn? What would you let go of? Whose help would you ask for? What planning would you do? What story would you let go of? What excuse would you release? Like, what would you do if that scenario was true? And for most people, they go, shit, I freaking do anything and everything. Well, that's the razor's edge right there. And when you're committed... You do anything and everything legally, ethically, professionally. Now, what if you lived every day that way? Every week, every month, there's no question you would hit that goal. It compounds. Right? Now, I don't want to make it about money, right? But you can just as well be, yeah, I'm going to make 50% more income. I'm going to get into great shape in my life. And I'm going to repair the relationship that is struggling right now with my blank. Awesome. Go all in. Like, go all in. There's your razor's edge. Have a sense of urgency. Absolutely love it. We'll end it with this one final one. A lot of the stuff that we talk about, or you talk about specifically, and also I do as well, also from The Secret, is manifestation. And you touched upon it a little bit earlier in the conversation. What's one simple, tangible tool the audience can apply immediately to start manifesting things that they desire. So in the movie, The Secret, we talked about the law of attraction, right? And the last six letters uh, is something we didn't talk about very much. And it's A-C-T-I-O-N, action. So in addition to the law of attraction, you have to activate and utilize the law of Goya, G-O-Y-A, right? And that's the get off your Ass law. Get off your ass and be in action. Now, I want people to just understand something. This isn't magical in a sense that, um, you know, like when monks are praying for rain, for a better crop, for food, for health, for vitality, for compassion, for empathy, for people they also get off their ass and they go and do something. So yes, they're activating the spiritual realm. I got it. Yes, they're activating the emotional realm. I got it. But they're also activating the physical realm. And they're in action, right? And they're doing the things that are necessary. Now, along the way, when you are thinking, feeling, praying, hoping, and doing unbelievable things happen to you because you're in resonance, in coherence, in flow with that which you are seeking because it is seeking you. But the law of attraction doesn't work like a magnet. Because if you take a positive and you put a positive next to it, it actually repels at the quantum level. You can't see the force between the magnet, can you? But you can feel it. So when we are looking to manifest, don't think that it's some kind of wishful hoping and praying without doing anything else. That's wishful thinking. That's not manifesting. So let's make sure that in addition to, you know, what it is that we would love to have, be, achieve, we also do what the Quakers say. The Quakers say, when you pray, move your feet. (laughs) that's terrific yeah it's so true like there's a misconception from the secret right they talk about like like praying for you know hoping for a lamborghini then it's in your driveway it's not the way it works it is super important to have that thought to put it out there in the frequency and then start taking action to that it's yeah so i love it and like i said the only negative we got going on today is that we got to wrap up we don't have 10 hours the, the audience is going to be obsessed with you in two seconds in case they already weren't. Best way to track you is on social media and all the things. 
Is your book on Audible? Yeah. Is it yeah, your book? It all on Audible. My book, The Answers, on Audible. Inner Size is on Audible. Johnny, is it your voice? Uh, in Inner Size, it's not having it all. It is, and, and um, the answer, it is unbelievable. For the audience, all we ask for is if you love the episode, take a screenshot, post it, tag John and I. This was too much fun today, Johnny. I just want to say okay. the definition of resilience, heart, empathy, wisdom, and experience. You articulate things in a way I've never heard before. You're making the world a smarter place. You're a legend, role model, and beacon of hope for anyone coming up today with big goals and aspirations. Your mindset is absolutely bulletproof. I can personally guarantee your best is yet to come. You have my word right here, right now. This is just the beginning of our very special relationship. Keep on dropping those gems, Johnny. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Craig. Appreciate you too. Thanks for being so prepared and for being so uh, enthusiastic. You know, in Theos, right? Enthusiasm is in Theos is the God within us. So your God within you uh, shone or shine brightly. Yeah. And I just want to say this. If there's anything at all that I can do with my rapidly growing audience to support you, please do not hesitate. I love it. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow me on Instagram at Craig Siegel underscore CLS, the YouTube channel Craig Siegel, and our website CultivateLastingSymphony.com where you could sign up for our email blast with all free trainings on all of our content. The best is yet to come.